Good afternoon. Our next case is State v. Geis, and we'll hear from the appellant. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, my name is Zachary Dunn here on behalf of the state. This case comes to this court in an unusual posture, at least for a criminal case. Uh, there's no verdict or judgment, and instead, what we have is an order disqualifying an elected district attorney and his entire office from prosecuting a case because the victim uh, is in the case, is responsible for various you know, county costs, including uh, costs related to the district attorney's office. The trial court erred in disqualifying the entire district attorney's office, and this court should vacate and remand for trial. <clears throat> uh, I think as a starting prop proposition, a prosecutor may only be disqualified for an actual conflict of interest, and this makes sense because uh, the district attorney in our state, or the district attorneys, are constitutional officers um, under Article 4, Section 18. Uh, the elected district attorney is responsible for the prosecution of all criminal actions in the superior and district courts of his or her district. Um, and, you know, it's important, this comes from Brit, but many other cases of this court, um, that a prosecutor is not expected to be a neutral arbiter. That's, of course, what the judge is for. Um, but uh, he or she is supposed to be an advocate of the state's interest in the matter at hand. Um, and so really there's, there's not too much case law on this issue from this court. There's basically Brit and Camacho. I'd like to run through both of them, but I'll start with Brit because it's the only uh, case mentioned by the Superior Court in its one-page order um, upholding what the District Court had done. So in Brit, <clears throat> it was the fourth trial of, defend of a defendant by the same District Attorney, and uh, he was eventually found guilty and on appeal to this court argued that the district attorney should have been disqualified because it was the fourth trial. And in a previous appeal, this court, uh, the Supreme Court, had vacated uh, the conviction due to um, overzealous conduct on, on the part of the district attorney. And uh, in that case, uh, this court found no conflict of interest and held that um, the prosecutor was at all times seeking to convict and punish the guilty or seeking acquittal of the innocent. And although the well, in, in, in Brit, was it a conflict of interest or was it a due process argument that the defendant was making? I think it was talked about both ways. Uh, and certainly the court, in answering the question, talked about a conflict of interest. It really mentioned three things, conflict of interest, uh, the possibility of self-interest, uh, and then uh, whether there was any interest adverse to that of the state. Um, so I think you know, it, it did get into the conflict of interest question, but really the, the big, the seminal case, uh, in our view, uh, on conflict of interest from this court is, is the Camacho decision. Well, but, but before you get there, um, if the defendant is arguing due process and, and the court finds that uh, the district attorney did not violate due process, that he has a duty um, to, to prosecute these cases, an obligation to prosecute these cases uh, on behalf of the state, is there any need to get to conflict of interest or the other uh, one or two items that uh, the court mentions in Brit? I think um, if even if the court found that there was no due process violation, I think the court could still consider whether there's a conflict of interest. Uh, on, on what? That's ground? how we understand um, the case law. I, I think, well, 
I guess uh, our position would be that the conflict of interest, if it exists, is the due process violation. Um, so if there is no due process violation, there's necessarily no conflict of interest. Um, and I do admit Brit is inexact in its language and how it dealt with the issue. Um, but Camacho was, uh, I think, more recent and much clearer. Um, in that case, Camacho sought to disqualify the district attorney and his entire staff, just like we have in this case, uh, because uh, one of the ADAs had worked at the uh, public defender's office uh, while the charges that the defendant, Mr. Camacho, had were, uh, were with that office. He was being represented by the public defender. And, um, but the ADA's testimony in that case established that she had never been uh, or seen any of the files concerning the defendant or heard any specific information about the case from those who were actually working on it in the public defender's office. Um, and this court clearly held, uh, you know, a prosecutor may not be disqualified from prosecuting criminal cases unless and until the trial court determines that an actual conflict of interest exists. So that's what we really have to look for here. And really the, the order from the Superior Court, uh, there's only three findings. One is a site to um, and grid. Counsel, I apologize. Before you get there, didn't Camacho actually say um, um, actual conflict and obtaining confidential information? Um, yes. Uh, the, the court said that a conflict exists when a prosecutor has previously represented the defendant with regard to the charges being prosecuted and as a result uh, has obtained confidential information which may be uh, used to the defendant's detriment. Um, now, of course, certainly we don't have that here. There's no, <laughs> there's no uh, allegations that anyone in the district attorney's office ever represented this defendant. Um, so on, on the factual basis, um, you know, just a straight reading of Camacho would say, you know, there's no conflict of interest here. If what Camacho really meant to do was cabin conflict of interest inquiry solely to whether or not uh, someone in the prosecution's office had obtained confidential information um, from the defense and a prior representation uh, from, of the defense. But that does bring in those three situations that Britt mentions. I mean, there's, um, there's conflict of interest, self-interest, and uh, interest adverse to the state. Um, but, but, but what do you make of the fact that Camacho doesn't reference Brit at all. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what to make of it. Uh, I think I, I don't believe Camacho intended to sub silencio overrule uh, Brit, but I think Camacho is um, the more you know well reasoned decision. It's it's clearly fleshing the conflict of interest issue uh, out further than than Brit did. Uh, in Brady, it was just one of many issues in a death penalty case, and it, it I think, had three or four paragraphs in the, in the court's ultimate opinion in that case. So um, Camacho really, we think, is, is the, the seminal case. Um, one other thing I'd like to mention from Camacho is how an order disqualifying uh, a district attorney or someone, a prosecutor, is to be drawn. Uh, and um, any order tending to infringe upon constitutional powers and duties of an elected DA must be drawn as narrowly as possible. Uh, and the court must make every possible effort to avoid unnecessarily interfering with the district attorney in the performance in, of his or her duties. Now looking to the, the order that we have in this case, it's miles away from 
you know, being drawn as narrowly as possible. Uh, like I was saying, there's only three findings of fact. One is a site to Brit, so there's really only two. Um, the findings of fact simply are that the county managers, the, uh, the alleged victim in the case, the county manager submits an annual budget uh, and for expenses uh, of the district attorney's office. Uh, and then it said, thus, there is an actual conflict of interest. Uh, there's no reasoning about, um, and there was no testimony at this hearing. Uh, well, I should say it was a district court hearing, and I don't believe there's a transcript of it. So we don't know what was said at the hearing, but there's no, certainly no uh, testimony in a verbatim transcript about what went on at that hearing. <clears throat> there's no um, allegations that you know the DA or someone in his office was attempting to curry favor with the county manager in exchange for a prosecution in this case. Uh, so no self-interest or self-dealing uh, really appears from the record. Uh, the trial court solely made its findings of But fact. the state's position is if there were such evidence, you wouldn't have a problem recognizing a potential self-interest or conflict in that kind of setting. Is that right? I think that's right. I would, with one caveat, uh, in that Camacho seems to hold um, that a conflict of interest can only be found uh, where um, there is some sort of uh, confidential information from uh, the defense that a prosecutor later has. Now, if the court you know, wanted to clarify that self-interest can indeed be a conflict of interest or one reason to disqualify um, a, a district attorney's office, and there were actual facts and testimony, um, you know, of some quid pro quo or something going on between the victim and the, the prosecution, the prosecutor's office, uh, then it'd be a fact-bound inquiry uh, about whether or not that rose to the level of self-interest that would need disqualifying. Uh, and then I guess the second caveat after that long answer is, um, of course, going back to the, the order needing to be as narrow as possible. Um, you know, if, if one person uh, had some kind of quid pro quo, certainly, uh, that person, um, you know, if it l rose to the level of needing disqualification, but not the entire district attorney's office, um, would be our view on that. <clears throat> uh, I did want to mention quickly the uh, the review by this court because uh, it came up in the briefing. And normally, a lower court's decision on whether to allow a petition for writ of certiorari is. Uh, reviewed for an abuse of discretion. However, when uh, an abuse of discretion is established uh, when the trial court makes an error of law, and we think the error of law coming from Britton Camacho here uh, is finding an actual conflict of interest when the bare facts that are presented to it are the victim is the county manager, the county manager pays for office supplies and those sorts of expenses, uh, and that therefore uh, there is a uh, conflict of interest or a self-dealing there. Um, so we, th we think on those bare facts, um, you know, there's no conflict of interest and certainly not such a conflict of interest that would require disqualifying the entire district attorney's office without even a word of reasoning as to why the, the entire district attorney's office needed to be uh, excluded from the case. <clears throat> Do you think that, uh, is there a problem, so, so in Camacho it was the disqualification of an ADA, correct? Yes, Your Honor. Um, well, they, they sought to um, disqualify the entire district attorney's office, uh, but it was based on one of the ADAs right. um, learning, well, not being a part of the public defender's office, yes. What I'm sort of thinking about here is, as you pointed out, 
Article 4 expressly gives the district attorney the responsibility for prosecuting um, cases in his or her district. Um, is there a constitutional problem with excluding the entire office? Maybe there's not with saying, hey, if there's a particular ADA um, that has a con an actual conflict that's that's that doesn't raise a state constitutional issue, but excluding the district attorney, the entire office, when the state constitution expressly assigns that office the responsibility to prosecute crimes, is that, would that raise a constitutional issue? We think so, yes, Your Honor. And it's, it's a little, it comes in an awkward position because, you know, of Britt and Camacho, really the two cases from this court, neither one did the, in neither one did the trial court uh, exclude anybody. Um, so we don't have, you know, case law from this court saying, you know, kind of fleshing that out. Uh, but we certainly do, you know, from Article 4, Section 18, constitutional officer. Um, if there is a conflict of interest or self-dealing or something, um, and it's, you know, found by the trial court, you know, going back to Camacho, they can be excluded. But excluding the entire district attorney's office, we think, uh, is is a big problem considering that there's no findings of fact or conclusions of law about why the entire district attorney's office needed to be excluded other than I guess the the fact that they also use the office supplies and furniture that you know everyone in the district attorney's office uses um, so uh, you know our answer would be certainly is uh, uh, a constitutional issue um, excluding the district attorney's office, especially here where there's no findings about why that was necessary. <clears throat> um, in addition to being legally erroneous, the district and superior court's orders, really we're focused on the superior court orders here, uh, are not drawn as narrowly as possible as we've been discussing here for a little bit. Um, and I would like to get into the absur absurd results canon uh, because it was brought up by Judge Tyson in his dissent at the Court of Appeals and got some play in the briefing uh, before this court. Um, and you know, bringing the Superior Court's uh, rationale to its logical conclusion would really lead to absurd results. Um, uh, we gave the, the example in our brief of this court, you know, of course, receives its compensation and its furniture uh, from the General Assembly. Uh, so ergo, following the, the logic of the Superior Court, this court couldn't hear any cases about the General Assembly. Um, it's, uh, it really would lead to an absurd result here. Uh, and the same is true for uh, the conflicts prosecutor that the uh, Superior Court ordered be brought in. Unless they are working off-site, not using any county services or uh, the county courtroom, uh, they too would benefit from um, what the county manager's budget says, and then, uh, you know, so that they, they would also have a conflict of interest. So that, uh, at, you know, sort of as a final point, we think the absurd results canon on the logic of the Superior Court's order um, really would need to be invoked here. Um, I just want to ask about um, other, there are other circumstances in which it would be proper for a district attorney not to prosecute a crime in his district. And I'm thinking in particular, um, so apart from him having represented the individual and obtained confidential information, which then is a conflict, 
that he would have um, in that particular case. If the district attorney were himself the victim and then needed to be a witness in the case, right, we, we would assume that he can't both be the prosecutor and a witness in a case, right? Absolutely, yes. And I think, you know, in that hypothetical, it might be grounds for, you know, talking about drawing the order as narrowly as possible. That would also be grounds in that case for some or maybe all of the ADAs to be excluded. They're hired and, uh, and serve at the pleasure of the district attorney. Um, so that, in that situation, I think we would agree that, you know, there would be an unwaverable, you know, not that we're talking about waiver, but a conflict of interest in that case. Um, unless there are any further questions. I'm sorry, counsel, I do, yes. I do have a question. So in Camacho, there's discussion about a balancing test. Mm -hmm. How does the balancing test come into play in this case? We think all of the factors weigh, you know, in our favor. Obviously, I'm going to tell you that. But um, we really, you know, because there's no actual conflict of interest here, it's just based on the county manager providing office supplies and, and whatnot, you know, expenses of the district attorney. We just don't think that there is a conflict of interest. So, you know, weighing is kind of hard uh, to do there. But, um, yeah, I, I would say... Um, you know, there, all of the all of the the weight falls on one side of the scale in our view. And and is there any evidence in the trial court's order that this balancing test occurred? No, um, the trial court's order just basically it, it cites to Brit, not Camacho, uh, and then it you know goes through the the victim being the county manager and the manager county manager you know uh, offering the budget. Uh, and therefore, there was a conflict of interest. So there's no uh, real balancing one way or the other uh, in the order. Uh, we think there's enough in this record for this court to simply vacate and remand for trial. However, you know, of course, this court could vacate and remand for a new uh, hearing on, on whether or not there's a conflict of interest. Uh, we don't think that that's necessary, and we certainly think uh, that if there were any facts, any more facts favorable to the defendant, on this conflict of interest inquiry, uh, it was the onus was on him to bring it up at the first hearing that's already occurred. Unless there are any further questions, we'll simply urge the court to vacate and remand. Thank you. Counsel. Hear from the appellee. May it please the court. <clears throat> I'm Mary McCullers-Reese for the appellee, Walter Giese. Without providing a record or challenging findings, the state urges this court to reverse the superior court's denial of cert and hold as a matter of law that the district court erred in disqualifying the Onslow County District Attorney's Office. Mr. Giese asked that this court reject that request because the state has neither shown that the district court made an error of law nor taken steps to rebut the presumption of regularity in the trial court. The disqualification was not an error of law. In this case, and the facts are important, the prosecuting witness is the county manager for Onslow County. The defendant is a licensed soil scientist, an environmental specialist. His duties include evaluating soil and wastewater issues for the state and routinely communicating with county staff as part of his work. The charges, are class two misdemeanors. They arise from emails and phone calls 
between the county manager and Mr. Giese, contacts relating to both of their jobs. The there were contacts where Mr. Giese was critical of the county manager's performance of her job. The facts and details matter because they defined the issues before the district court, the issue that that court ruled on. The district court was a conflicts judge. He was brought in by the state to hear this case because of the involvement of the county manager. And he concluded after a hearing that there was an actual conflict of interest based on self-interest. And after balancing the interests, you asked about that test, of the interests of the state, the public, and the defendant, he disqualified the district attorney. The state argues that there's only one type of conflict that can disqualify the DA, prior representation of the defendant by someone in the district attorney's office. And it's true, prior representation can be a conflict. It's also true that there is not that type of prior representation conflict in this case. But Camacho didn't say that prior representation was the only conflict possible. That court didn't even hear allegations suggesting self-interest. Camacho did adopt an approach of balancing the interests of the defendant, the government, and the public when considering any motion to disqualify. The exact type of balancing put into play by the district court in its order of disqualification. Counsel, um, <laughs> who makes the ultimate decision about the county decisions about the county budget and the allocation of resources? I believe the county commissioners do, Your Honor. So help me understand the the basis for this conflict when it's when, when the resources aren't ultimately under the authority of the manager. Well, on the bare record that, or no record that we have before. I mean, just as a matter of law. Just as a matter of law, who makes, what is the conflict of interest yeah. there? Well, this is about relationships. The district court heard about this case, how these actors interacted, this district attorney, this county manager, this budgetary process, and he made findings based on that. So this ruling pertains to these parties and these facts. Let me try to be a little clearer. Um, if the Board of County Commissioners, not the county manager, is ultimately responsible for the allocation of funds and resources, then how, how does that affect our analysis I of the trial court's order? Your Honor, I believe the county manager proposes the budget, and surely that is an integral part of that process. So, the, so your, your contention is that the mere fact that the manager proposes a budget creates the, the conflict here? Your Honor, we would contend, and I think the district court made findings about the extensive communication between the district attorney's office and the county manager regarding budget issues. She then proposes a budget to the county commissioners. The district court noted both of those facts in making its order. Okay, thank you. Is, it, is that a, Sorry. Uh, so I think you were saying that your, your friend had focused on how Camacho was only about this one particular type of conflict, but I, I also heard your friend from the state say, emphasize that what Camacho requires is an actual conflict of interest. Yes, and isn't what you described just a possible conflict of interest that creates an appearance of the impartiality or the conflict, but 
you would need the actual quid pro quo in order to have the actual conflict. Do you, do you disagree with that? I agree there has to be an actual conflict of interest. And this, this district court did find an actual conflict of interest, but not the same kind that was in Camacho. Um, I think a prior representation conflict of interest is a very different and specific thing where you're talking about confidential information being leaked against the defendant. Here, the district court found self-interest. Right, but what I'm saying is wouldn't, to have the self-interest conflict in this kind of a case, mm -hmm. wouldn't you actually need the evidence that there was some connection, you know, uh, make sure you prosecute this person and, you know, convict them and then you're going to get this? I mean, how, that would be an actual conflict of interest. But without that, how, how is it just not the appearance because of, of the presumption that, you know, everybody is, all of these government officials are not doing things that are illegal, like, you know, making, making these kinds of deals. Can we just prosecute someone and, so I can get a better budget, that sort of thing? Your Honor, and obviously there's not a, pay, you know, there's no evidence of a payoff, right, you know, in the back. And I don't think there has to be. When the district court hears the evidence, sees the parties, makes the finding, that there is that kind of interaction and interest, self-interest, based on those relationships, those powers, that, that that makes the conflict of interest. Isn't that contrary to the statement in Camacho about uh, appearance of impropriety, where Justice Mitchell says, look, we agree with the conclusion that the Maryland court reached, the mere appearance of impropriety is not itself sufficient to warrant disqualification of an entire office. I agree, Your Honor, that there can't be just the appearance of impropriety. And I don't think that's what we have here. The district court found an actual conflict of interest based on, the district court found as fact that this district attorney was self-interested in the prosecution of these charges. I don't think he had to make a finding that there was a bank drop or a, you know, I don't think he had to make a finding about a direct quid pro quo when he heard the evidence and observed the pine parties and made a finding of self-interest. How many, how many counties uh, comprise the 4th District, the 4th Prosecutorial District? Four, I believe. So if, if there are multiple counties, how is um, the, the district attorney improperly influenced by the $19,000 budget in one county? Your Honor, the trial court, the district court heard the evidence that this district attorney was self-interested based on that amount. Let me ask you, <clears throat> Would you concede that there's some space between an actual conflict and stating it and what, what the evidence might show in findings that actually get to that legal conclusion of an actual conflict? Yes, yes, Your Honor. And because one of the things that, that I find challenging about this very short order is that it states there's an actual conflict, but then it uses words like the court assumes that as such, the county manager has discussions. I could see a situation where, and maybe it happened, but the court didn't find it, is, you know, maybe some of these conversations are getting who they're with, um, the topics are getting into sort of concerning levels, but all, all we know is that the trial court has assumed, and that seems to be in tension with Camacho. And, and it may, you know, I, I think the trial court found and believed that there was self-interest rising to the level of an actual conflict and not just the appearance of one. If some of the findings are less than specific enough, I will say we don't have a record. We don't know what the trial court heard. All we have is the trial court's findings. 
um, additional findings, it's possible we flesh some of that out. But where we are, um, I think the ultimate finding that there was self-interest based on the parties that were before that trial court is sufficient. Well, that, um, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Would, um, go ahead, Justice Berger, please. No, I, I want to make sure uh, I'm, I'm clear. Um, you, you've met, referenced the district court uh, order a couple of times. Didn't we grant cert on the superior court order? Yes, sir, you did. And my understanding, just my understanding of where we are, and I will say, as he said, that the procedure here is in a different space from what I, what I would usually have be experienced with. But the superior court's decision whether or not to grant cert is basically a review of the district court's order. Um, and as I understand it, requires um, not, well, it, you can grant cert when there's an error of law and some extraordinary circumstances that would justify granting cert. And, and so if there is an error of law, isn't that reviewed de novo? Yes. Yes, if there's an error of law, that can be considered an abuse of discretion. Yes, Your Honor. Um, let, let me ask one more question. Okay. <laughs> so, so every uh, uh, person in this prosecutorial district could be campaign contributors. Uh, would a campaign contribution uh, disqualify the district attorney from prosecuting uh, the case were a contributor to be a victim? Well, Your Honor, in that circumstance, I mean, certainly not, as I said, not everybody that walks through a courthouse is going to have a conflict for the district attorney, and certainly not every person that contribu contributes to a campaign. This is a situation where the district court found day-to-day -day ongoing and significant communication about the budget and about these charges. And the interaction of the two in this particular case doesn't mean in every case, it means in this case. He found um, self-interest in a conflict. I just want to follow up on something Justice Riggs said, because I assume, or I understand your argument to be that we don't have a record factual record. Ordinarily, we don't have a factual record, but the trial courts made findings of fact. We just presume that they're correct. But isn't there some tension in the order there? Because the, the, the kind of ultimate finding that's made that there is the conflict doesn't seem to follow from sort of the facts as are described in the order. So without the record, what do we do about that? Well, Your Honor, um, I think it's incumbent on the impellent to make a record, to bring forward evidence, you know, bring forward a record of the proceedings here in order to seek relief in this court. And with that being the case, I don't think you can grant relief. So, so you, uh, I think I heard you say, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that the trial court made its decision based on a record of communications regarding the budget. But the order, as I think has already been pointed out, says that the court assumes that the county manager has discussions with the district attorney's office regarding the need for facility and services before the budget proposal is submitted. That doesn't sound like the court is looking at communications, actual communications on the subject. It sounds like the court is assuming that those communications occur. Am I missing something? 
I don't know that you're missing anything, Your Honor. I think there is some tension in that word, and it's a little bit of a delicate uh, glancing blow to have made that finding with assumes instead of making it based on actual evidence. Is that a, is that a proper finding? That the, the trial court assumes. Certainly that, that finding could have been neater. It could have been tidier. And um, it, it seems to me it's only a finding that the trial court made the assumption. It's not a finding that the, that the factual basis of the assumption is correct. Presumably that, and I'm presuming that assumption arises from the evidence of what the trial court heard. Well, then it wouldn't be an assumption, would it? In exact language, I would agree. Okay. Thinking back to Camacho, and, I, and I'm going back between the tension between self-interest and prior representation. Prior representation of the defendant can't be the only, um, and Your Honor mentioned that, conflict for a district attorney, because that would mean that the district attorney could not be disqualified even where a defendant or the victim was the DA's spouse or child or business partner or the DA himself. Surely that wasn't the intent of the Camacho court. It reached that broad when it wrote its decision about prior representation. The state brings up, well, the state has, since it's brief, is not talking so much about the holding in Smith about uh, unique circumstances there. Disqualification cases as a whole are few and far between, but courts have recognized self-interest, and we've talked a little bit about State v. Britt and also Ganger v. Payton, um, Fourth Circuit, where the court actually found self-interest that should have disqualified the district attorney <clears throat> based on the district attorney's professional relationship with the victim. And it makes sense that a quasi-judicial officer with the unique power to determine who is prosecuted should be disqualified where that person does have an interest, outside interest in the controversy. The state contends that the order disqualifying the whole DA's office was overbroad. But it was not, given the circumstances of this particular case. The danger here is not, like Camacho, the leak of confidential information. It's that assistants handling the case won't be free to make independent charging decisions about a matter that their office has pursued now all the way to the Supreme Court of North Carolina. <clears throat> assistants serve at the pleasure of the elected DA and like the elected DA, their duty is to seek justice and not merely to convict. It's one thing to instruct an uninvolved assistant not to divulge confidential information gained from a prior client. The bar does that all the time. It's another for that assistant to feel empowered to dismiss charges that their office has aggressively pursued, even if it is the ethical course of action. The appellant's attempt to reverse the Superior Court's order must fail because the state hasn't rebutted the presumption of regularity in the trial court. Can you help me with the limiting principle? Because under the theory I just heard you articulate, which mm -hmm. is all of the ADAs, so the entire district attorney's office serves at the pleasure of the DA. And mm -hmm. so even if one of the new ADAs who's been on the office at the office two months and couldn't pick the county manager out of a lineup, your theory is that person's still disqualified because the ADA has a relationship with the county manager. And so I guess my concern is, is that's going to, what, what's the limiting principle that doesn't open the door to an awful lot of entire office disqualifications under that same theory? Because 
you know, if, if a board, a member of the board of county commissioners who actually makes the decision has some involvement as a victim or a witness, like, do you see what I'm saying? The, the theory of they work for the DA is why the whole office should be disqualified, opens the door to not just a lot of DAs being disqualified, but a lot of situations where the entire office is disqualified. Well, and in, in this case, the trial court, the, the, the level of priority in this office, the self-interest in the office, I think it would be hard to shield that, um, to say to a, a lower level assistant district attorney, hey, um, this is clearly a priority in the office, but you're on your own to make your own decision. We're gonna leave you on this case and you should make your own decision. I think that's just a practicality that the district court recognized. We don't have a record in this case, and I think that's a real problem here. Um, we don't have a record. We don't have a, the, the district court had a hearing, but we don't have a transcript or a reconstruction of a transcript. Nothing to overcome the presumption of regularity in the trial court's unchallenged findings. Still, the state wants this court to issue a broadside ruling that a district attorney can be can't be disqualified for self-interest so that the Onslow County District Attorney can prosecute these misdemeanors, which is all that this particular ruling was about, these misdemeanors. Well, counsel, I apologize. Look, mm -hmm. if you look at the, uh, the Brick case and how it's developed over um, the, the years mm -hmm. since Camacho came out, there, there have been you know, 15, 19 cases that cite to Brick, not one of them uh, from this court. Not one of them from this court cites to Brit for the proposition uh, dealing with conflicts, right? dealing with disqualifications of the office. If you look at the development of Camacho, though, and granted, with the exception of State versus Reed, uh, the conflicts language doesn't come up at all. But what Camacho is cited for uh, most often, um, I think the case law shows, uh, is that courts should be uh, very reluctant to stick their noses under the tents of the DA's office, constitutional officer. Uh, why, why is it different in this case that, that uh, judges should insert themselves on what appears to be a relatively uh, routine interaction? I agree, Your Honor, this probably is a relatively routine interaction. Um, I think these issues come up in the district court all the time and are handled frequently by the parties agreeing that they need a conflicts prosecutor, a conflict, well, they, they agreed to a conflicts judge here. Um, but it, it isn't, isn't a judge different in that judges at the district court and judges at the trial court level are somewhat interchangeable uh, because there are multiple judges elected. There's, there's only one DA. Is, isn't that a significant difference? I do think that that is part where the balancing test of Camacho come, came into play a little bit in the district court's consideration here. Um, the relative interest of the defendant here, the district court found to be by far the most weighty in that it compromised by the self-interest of the district attorney versus the interest of the public Well, in prosecuting these misdemeanors, which are basically arise from speech between two parties. They're not violent or um, the public interest is easily handled by farming this out to a conflicts prosecutor who can handle this in the stead of the district attorney pretty easily. 
Um, I, I'd like to go back to your argument about the impact of a lack of a transcript or record here, because we do we do have the district court's order and then the superior court's order um, that it's based on, that's based on the district court's order. And I'm just curious, since this was the defendant's motion, why wouldn't it be the defendant's burden to create and preserve the record? The defendant isn't the appellant here. Um, I think if the person seeking, the party seeking relief is always tasked with bringing forth the evidence to overturn the order. Right, but in terms of preserving the record to support, and I ask that because the, the actual terms of the district court opinion doesn't, doesn't exactly, it, it, I didn't hear it coincide with what you were saying about what the facts were before this particular judge. Because the, the district court says, um, the court must decide if the inherent authority given to the county manager, not this particular county manager and their relationship with this particular district attorney, but just the inherent authority that every county manager has, whether that's um, sufficient to um, create a conflict. And then the, the language we've talked before about assuming that they have conversations. And so there's, it, there's just nothing in this district court order that suggests that these findings were actually based on specific things about this county manager and this district attorney. But this district court, and I hear, I hear what your honor is saying, the language is a little loose at, in the order. Certainly it could have, could have been tighter. Um, this did arise from a hearing based on these people, th this set of facts, um, to say that it applies you know, much broader, to say that it, it has implications for whether or not this court can hear the General Assembly or anything like that, this is very much fact-bound. And certainly some of the facts could be tighter than what they are, but we would contend they're adequate to support the district court's order. And just one final follow-up on that. The, the district court also says that um, they, in addition to the hearing, they reviewed the file, the written responses of the parties, and hearing the arguments. And in the um, responses of the parties that we have, can, are, are there, um, again, specific facts not about uh, uh, county managers and district attorneys generally in North Carolina, but something about the relationship in this particular instance in those submissions? There is, and we don't have a record, but the, some of the documents that are before this court in terms of the state's cert petition and the response to that, um, there was a, a substantial increase, and I believe Justice Berger mentioned that just a few minutes ago, about it, the, there was a substantial increase in the proposed budget for uh, the district attorney's office right after this county manager came into office and at the same time as all these conversations that the district court mentioned are happening. Affirming the superior court's denial of cert certainly doesn't mean that every situation involving a courthouse or a county manager is going to result in disqualification. And it doesn't really bear on issues such as whether or not this court can hear the district, the General Assembly. The practical consequence of this order is that the state will prosecute these class two misdemeanors using a conflict-free prosecutor. If there are no further questions, Mr. Giese, would respectfully ask this court to affirm the decision of the lower court and hold that the self-interest can be a ground for disqualification of the district attorney. 
therefore, given the lack of a record in this case, find that discretionary review was improvidently granted. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Counsel. Rebuttal. <clears throat> yes, Your Honor. May it please the court. Just a few points on rebuttal. Um, first, I'd like to address you know, the questions or concerns about the lack of a record here. Um, to be frank, we did consider whether or not we would put together a full record on appeal before this court after the court granted certiorari. Uh, but the language of the court's order, you know, didn't say anything about Rule 11, settling a record, Rule 12, anything like that. Instead, the order uh, mentioned a briefing schedule uh, and the first, with the first brief being due something like 30 days after the order. So we didn't think uh, a record was necessary uh, uh, or ordered by this court. Uh, a second point on that would be, um, you know, really what that record would contain is what was in uh, the appendix to the state's certiorari petition. Um, <clears throat> looking at the order from the Superior Court, um, it notes, or it seems to note at least, that it didn't hit, uh, hold a hearing at all. Uh, in its introductory paragraph, it says the court held an in-camera review of you know, the motions and filings in the case. So there wouldn't, I don't think, be any uh, verbatim transcript. And then you know, the district court, of course, it does mention a hearing. It did not mention taking um, you know, any witnesses or anything like that. I think it's fair to say from the face of the order uh, that it was simply the pleadings and arguments of the parties. So uh, we think that this case is um, certainly here properly and, and no record was needed uh, on that. <clears throat> um, uh, on Mr. Uh, Justice Dietz, your question's about an actual conflict of interest versus an appearance of a conflict of interest. Really what we have here is a possible appearance of a conflict of interest. Uh, the one-page order from the Superior Court doesn't mention any specific facts uh, about you know, the interactions between this district attorney or this district attorney's office and the county manager. Uh, none of that was in there. And additionally, the, the, you know, the findings from the Superior Court and the District Court weren't resting on any, or its holding wasn't resting on any specific interactions or conversations, at least from the face of the orders, uh, between the county manager and the DA's office. It was simply the fact that the, that the victim was uh, the county manager in this case. Um, and that really, you know, I heard my friend on the other side call this a fact-bound inquiry. Um, I think normally it would be, but this was not a fact-bound inquiry. Um, we disagree with that. It's simply the fact that the county manager was the victim from the face of the order uh, is the reason why uh, an actual conflict of interest of, uh, you know, in the district court and superior court's eyes uh, was here. Um, so we think that this case is, is set up uh, for your honors um, to, um, you know, if, if you want, of course, to say something on this, on this issue uh, and really hold uh, that merely a county manager being the victim in a crime does not require uh, for the district attorney and his entire office to be disqualified from a case. Unless there are any further questions, uh, again, we would urge uh, vacatur and remand. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you both. Mr. Clark.